Welcome to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast, where non-diet nutrition, weight-inclusive care, and integrative health collide. We're your hosts, Dana Montes and Christina Hoyt, licensed integrative clinical nutritionists and body image coaches. And we believe you deserve to have a joyful relationship with food in your body, even if you have a chronic health condition or symptoms that just won't quit. On this show, together and with our guests, we're bringing the real talk, no BS5, with tangible tools to help you pursue health and wellness without obsession or restriction. Remember our disclaimer, this podcast is meant for general information purposes only and should not be taken as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Oh man, so food scarcity in the home with autoimmune disease, take one. This is going to be a juicy one. A very relatable one, we think, yeah. for you all, because we're not only talking about autoimmune disease today. I think this is very applicable for people who are managing chronic symptoms as well. Um, so diving right into it, Christina and I have this conversation all the time, and we also <laughs> hear it from clients. Like we we talk about it ourselves as two people who have autoimmune disease, um, but I think one of the aspects that is really not talked about enough when you have autoimmune disease or you have some kind of medical food restriction in your home and you live with other people is that there's this kind of constant underlying threat of, am I having cross-contamination? And there's a whole lot of different degrees of this in how people approach it or how you internalize it. Some people are just like, oh, whatever, like there's you know nothing I can do about it. And then other people are hypervigilant and hyper aware and it's a real fear that happens all the time. And that obviously can light up your nervous system and you know, with the gut brain connection and the vagus nerve that can really um, aggravate your symptoms as well. But so really what we're getting into today is how to operate with and manage what can feel like food scarcity in the home when you have autoimmune disease, medical dietary restrictions, um, you know, chronic health conditions. And we're approaching it from, of course, our wholehearted eating philosophy of like, well, how do we not make this an all or nothing thing, right? How, but ultimately, how do you protect yourself when there are other people in your house that are eating things that could be very damaging or symptom, you know, contributing to your body. And when you have things that need to be managed with food restrictions. So that's what we're getting into today. And I think it's really applicable too. like you've mentioned it with medical dietary restrictions. And I think like I'm just going to name food allergies plays a big is another really great example here. And just so if people didn't know exactly like this that's part of this conversation as well. And, you know, we love a good set the scene. If you've ever done one of our courses, or I'm sure we've talked about on the podcast, like a set the scene, we're big fans. And um, one of the the ones we we kind of like, I think maybe this inspired it, but I went on like a rant one day um, about Monday morning rage, Monday morning rage, about how living as the only person who's gluten-free in my entire family and like my nuclear family, like Casey's not gluten-free, Elodie's not gluten-free and Noah won't be gluten-free unless she has to be, obviously. Um, One of the things for me like that's been coming up a lot is that one, people will say like, well, why don't you just make your whole house celiac friendly? But the research actually shows that that's actually not good to withhold or restrict a food. Ha ha, 
shocker, uh, from, <laughs> from children because it can create an allergy for them long term. And so having Elodie getting exposed to gluten every day and having it in our house feels like worth that. The problem is, is that she's four and eating crackers all over our house. And so one day I came to Dana and I said, I don't feel like anywhere in my kitchen is safe for me anymore. And I feel like there's, I don't know what crumbs are gluten-free crumbs versus crumbs that are Elodie's crumbs. And she's coming over and putting crackers on my plate because we eat all. And this is a kid who knows, like she knows mommy can't have gluten and she's very aware of it and thoughtful and she realizes it. And then she also is four. So, so, and so sometimes it can really feel like I'm navigating landmines in my own kitchen and it can be really overwhelming. And I have definitely felt this sense of, I don't know if it's safe, how do I feel safe in my own home eating when I have to navigate this and I don't know what everything is without cleaning the entire kitchen from top to bottom before every single meal, which is completely unrealistic. <laughs> completely out of the question. And so one of the things that we want to really just lean into today is this sucks, right? Like this is really hard and it can feel like you're in an environment of food scarcity and like a little bit of food insecurity, even if it isn't, right? So even if you have the resources to buy the food that you need and the food that your family needs and you can keep them separate and everything like that, it still does feel like there is an underlying threat to your body because you don't feel like foods are all available and safe to you because the environment itself is not sterile, right? Or perfect. And it's never going to be. Um, and also, I just wanted to clarify here, it isn't just kids, right? So oh, like yeah. for a while <laughs> in my adult life, I lived with my parents. And even though I have now been diagnosed with celiac disease over 10 years ago, tell me why. And dad, I know you listen to these episodes sometimes, so I'm going to call you out right now. Is like, <laughs> tell me why you can't remember that I have to be gluten-free. <laughs> You can't double dip in things, right? So it would be like when I was living in their house, we would have to have separate toasters, separate containers for things. And like I I never felt like I could use butter or peanut butter or, you know, mayonnaise or like any of these other condiments and things where they, you know, you need a knife to go in because if the, you know, if the one time or like the two times that someone forgets and they like put something on bread and then they go back into, you know, the peanut butter jar or whatever, when you have a food allergy or celiac disease, that's a big freaking deal, right? There's going to be, depending on how your body reacts, because everyone reacts differently, there could be a low-grade inflammation. It could run have you running to the bathroom. You know, it could have you like all of these different things. It could be eczema. It could be skin scuff. It could be all these different things. And that's a really, really hard place to be in. And, you know, I t- talked about this with Christina. I talked about it with my therapist before of like, how do you, and no one's doing this on purpose, right? Like, let's be clear. My dad, my dad is not doing this on purpose. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> there's a lot of things to remember, right? And especially when it's not you, you know, because mm-hmm. um, everyone's always thinking about their own stuff. And then it's like, oh crap, like I, and you know, Christina has told this story on the 
podcast before, I think of going, you know, to a family member's house for holidays and everything they made was gluten-free. And then for Thanksgiving, they accidentally put regular flour in the gravy. And it's like, oh, okay, well now I can't eat the gravy. And you know, there's a whole other thing. And it's just, it stinks because as the person who has the medically necessary dietary restrictions and the person and the people, practitioners who are always advocating for give all foods the opportunity to fit, it's really kind of, hard to get across that what can kind of seem like mixed messaging you know because for people who don't know you they're like oh are you just avoiding gluten because you're trying to lose weight and it's like no I'm trying to not end up in the hospital so (laughs) it's it's a little bit different um you know but it's really hard because there is this aspect of not wanting to feel like a burden not wanting to impose on other people you know not wanting to make it a big deal especially when it's it's not about some diet it's not about losing weight it's not about any of these things it's I honestly don't want I don't feel like spending my weekend in the hospital right and I don't feel like paying that bill and I don't feel like doing all these things so you're just trying to create a safe environment for yourself but even just that mindset of I don't want to impose on anyone like I just want to do my own thing like I'm going to bring my own food like how do I make this as safe as possible without being a burden on other people can feel really hard sometimes and so we just wanted to say that we relate and we're going to give you some uh, practical tips for what you can yes. do with this too. <laughs> yeah, and it's hard too because I think also as well like celiac disease and other conditions, sometimes they're invisible to other people. So unlike, you know, if you're like have an anaphylactic allergy to peanuts or you have a sesame allergy or something like that, hopefully people are a little bit more aware of that and trying to navigate that for you. Um, that's not, oh, like there's like, you know, you would hope that they would take that more seriously. But um, I think it is hard sometimes because it feels invisible. Like um, I think that's probably what your dad is feeling, you know, in a lot of ways. It's like, well, I don't see it. So it's yeah. hard to remember it on an everyday basis. My dad does that same kind of stuff too. And I, God love him. But, you know, he's not going to change. He once called my hour, like my – um my allergy a glucose allergy and I said I'd be dead if I was allergic to glucose <laughs> but we my mom it's like a running joke in our family we all laugh about it and he's like I know it's not glucose <laughs> <laughs> dad I love you he does not listen to this but <laughs> but yeah so anyways but I totally feel you and I think that that is something too is like the invisibleness of it and it can feel really invisible to other people and to yourself in some ways and so in a lot of ways too we kind of like to shield it and shield other people by taking on so much of that burden on our own and then we're living with this push-pull and I remember one time in particular um, Casey sat me down and said Christina you just need to tell people what is up like you can't do this anymore he's like I can't sit here and then watch you get sick later later that night because other people aren't doing what they need to do and you're being blase about it he's like they're confused no one knows how to handle this you know they don't know what celiac disease is and they're not gonna google it you know they're not gonna look it up um and so I think like as you're saying Dana advocating for yourself is really really hard and I think the the thought process around not wanting to be a burden is so so hard you know down to when people ask you well where do you want to order food from and your thought is well 
there's three places that I feel comfortable ordering from. So hopefully you guys like Mexican food. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what's on the menu tonight, guys. Um, so I think that that advocating for yourself, it did come with time. And even now, I still really struggle with it. You know, even I think you and I were talking about when I went and traveled with my whole family. My whole family was together all in one house. And I even thought ahead. I packed a bunch of gluten-free snacks. And then one day, I I, I, I left them in the, cat, like in the pantry open. And I came downstairs and none of my chips were available because my, you know, family member ate them. And I, you guys, I lost it. You would have thought that someone had like, stolen money from me like this is where the true scarcity comes in right because I don't know where the local grocery store is do they carry this brand I don't know if they have gluten-free things now gluten-free stuff is way more readily available but there was a time when it was not readily available and you had to <laughs> it go... was only ooties and all of it yeah. tasted like crap <laughs> yeah it was awful and so I remember I lost my gourd like I totally lost my shit on effort like in the kitchen like I don't have anything to eat and I was like freaking out and um it so it can be really hard and it even when you feel like you're advocating for yourself it you also feel like you're not all at the same time and because you don't want to be a burden but the truth is you don't have to deal with this alone everyone else can can work through it too and there's it's important for you to feel safe it's important. It's just as important for you to feel safe as it is important for them to be able to eat whatever they want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's really, really tough too, because there's multiple layers of this. You know, let's say you've got to hang on what you do at home, right? Then there's, well, what about if you're traveling? What if you're going to airports? What if you're going on a road trip, right? What if you're on holiday and you're staying in a house with other people. The same thing happened to me when I was in Utah with my whole family at the beginning of February, you know. And let's see, this would be two years ago at this point, I did a cross-country road trip. And like, let me tell you, it was real hard to find (laughs) some options that I could eat that were safe in the Midwest and, you know, in other places at basically at like truck stops, right? So it's, you know, even once you feel like you have a handle on that, there's always going to be another layer. It's a new restaurant. It's ordering out with friends. It's whenever you meet new people, you know, it's like, I know. oh, are you sure you just can't take, you know, let's say set the scene. You go to a restaurant and you order a burger. Let's say they have a gluten-free bun. You always have to make sure and check with the server. Just wanted to confirm this is a gluten-free bun, right? Like every single time. Because I have I have like a mini, you know, anxiety thing where I'm like, oh my God, well, what if this is gluten? Like what if it's, you know, anything like that? And then even when the burger comes without the bun, I'll be like, oh my God, well, what if they just took the bun off? Because anybody who has celiac knows well, what if you just take the bread off? Is that okay? And like, man, if I had a dollar for every time somebody had said that to me. Every time. So. I'd be so rich. If if you're wondering, the answer is no. (laughs) That's not how it works, unfortunately. We, believe me, we all wish that that could be the case. It would make our lives so much easier. But unfortunately not. Um, But so... One of the things that we also wanted to do today, in addition to commiserating with you all, whether you have <laughs> celiac or Crohn's or colitis or, you know, any of these other things, is given that the whole world and especially home 
can feel like a landmine and you're just trying to navigate your way through without getting cross-contaminated or lighting up your nervous system constantly because you're so nervous that something's going to happen. Um, We wanted to give you some practical tips on how to create a safe space at home or in the spaces that you are most often and things that you can do to troubleshoot as well. So yeah, real quick before we jump into that, um, I wanted to share a great way of explaining to people if you do have celiac disease, why the bun the bun idea is not effective. One of the ways that my GI doctor explained it to me is he said, take a piece of bread and then cut it 20,000 times. Take one of those grains and move it to the side. That will um, initiate an autoimmune response. And so when I explain to people like, well, no, it's not that easy because it takes one grain to cause an issue and when people read that and they see that and that they I they talk we talk about it that's when they're finally like oh snap so then they start to realize okay the butter is an issue the peanut butter is an issue I'm doing all these different things how do I then navigate that and my family thankfully has gotten better with it but still accidents happen and we have a bunch of kids running around it's hard to do and so I just wanted to share if you're looking for a way to explain it and you feel like you're kind of like ah, I don't know how to do this and no one's giving you that tool that's a really helpful way of explaining it because if someone when you visualize it you think imagine how small cutting it 20,000 times would have to be so small and that little bit can do damage The other thing that I'm sure you, Christina, also get asked so much as well is like, well, what happens if you have just a little bit? I'm like, well, so I go, I immediately go into clinician mode. I'm like, well, it's different for everyone. You know, it can be gut stuff. It can be skin stuff. It can be inflammation. It can be, you know, all of these other things. It really depends on the audience that is receiving this information. If it's someone who you think is, um, not, I don't know that combative is the right word, but they're not going to be receptive to whatever you say. Sometimes I'm just like, yeah, I really don't feel like ending up at the hospital tonight and I would love to enjoy my vacation. So I'm just, it's not for me. And they're like, whoa, okay. You know, but depending on who the person is, you know, you can explain to them what happens to you because that's also part of this being an invisible illness is like one of the reasons it one of the reasons it takes so long to get diagnosed with something like celiac or autoimmune disease is because it exhibits in so many different ways in different people, depending on your genetics, your circumstances leading up to the point of diagnosis, you know, like all of these different things. So for some people, it is really severe GI stuff. For some people, it is you end up in the hospital. For other people, it's your hair is going to start falling out, right? It's so many different things. And because it doesn't, uh, it's so indiscriminate, and it, people experience this in so many different ways, that's one of the reasons it's so hard to get diagnosed, right? So um, that's just one other thing that <laughs> you may be asked. And you can, you can choose how to respond. It's really a, I tell this a lot on my uh, discovery sessions, it's a choose your own adventure, depending on your audience and how much you would like to share. Yeah, and to be honest, I think, at least for me, I don't know if, if you present the same way, but my reactions to gluten are different every single time. They're not the same. So sometimes I'll feel it because I'll get canker sores or I'll start to feel like an eczema patch 
pop up or other times it's I get really sick and it's GI related or all the different things. Or like I said to you earlier, I think last month I, I said to Casey, and this is why we had this whole conversation and I think how it's how this conversation started was me saying I'm getting sick so much. And I was like, so I feel like something, I must be getting glutened by accident in the house because the last time I was getting sick like this was when, or this receptive to getting sick was when I was undiagnosed. And so to me, I feel like those, and those are like long-term things, right? Like that's like not something that happens overnight. So sometimes it doesn't show up right away, which again leads to the invisible nature of it for a lot of people too. And so I just think it's really important and I know it's difficult and we don't want to be pains and we don't want to be difficult, but I also don't want you to feel sick and you also deserve to not feel sick You deserve to not have kink or sores all over your mouth and have to deal with that. You deserve to not have to feel these types of things. You deserve all of those things as well, just like how anyone else deserves to walk through life, just la-da-da-da-da. You also should be able to walk through life going (laughs) la-da-da-da-da, you know, (laughs) even though we can't. But we're going to give you some tools to help the la-da-da-da-da a little bit easier. And one more thing before we go into the tools, you just made me think of this, because I think a lot of the time, especially with autoimmune disease and symptoms and chronic illness is, especially if you have been down the pipeline of something's wrong with me, all my labs are quote fine, I've gone to the doctor and they're like, no, you're good. And so then you go to functional medicine because you're looking for an alternative, you're looking for a root cause approach and they're like, oh, well... In the past, a practitioner has literally said this to one of my clients. Oh, if you had only eaten this way, you never would have gotten this autoimmune disease. And it's like, unfortunately, that is so incredibly common. Even if that wasn't said directly to you, so many people feel that way. So just remember that like, none of this is your fault. None of this, you didn't do this to yourself and you can't undo it, quote unquote, by eating, quote, perfectly or eating a certain way, right? So- the the blame is not on you and the other sucky thing about autoimmune disease is you can't really heal it right you can put it in remission and you won't have symptoms and there are certain things that you can do which is very individual to help you feel better in your life and yet what the part that really stinks is even on top of that there are still things that we have to do more than other people. There are things that we have to pay attention to more than other people who don't have autoimmune disease or who don't have chronic symptoms, right? So on the one hand, it stinks. We get it. We're here for you. And now we're actually going to go into the practical tips. (laughs) Yeah, because we don't want you to feel like you have scarcity, right? Because we know what happens with scarcity, right? When we have scarcity, that leads, that gives us a restrictive mentality, whether we believe it or not, that's what happens. And then that also leads to the pendulum swinging in the other direction. So the more that we can, and this unfortunately takes some more preparation work on our part, you know, in order to manage this, but it's equally as important. So I think it's really, really important for you to think about this and to work on creating a safe space for you. And that might mean troubleshooting and coming up with navigating new things as they come up. Like before, when I was single and living by myself, it was super easy (laughs) to manage my celiac disease. And then Casey and I moved in together and it took a while for him to kind of get on board and know what to do. And then now we have a four-year-old and now we have an eight-month-old and I'm outnumbered. And so now... 
it's all the troubleshooting and figuring out how to create that space to make it as safe for you as possible. It's a different layer. It's a whole nother layer. And I think as you kind of navigate your life and it's going to shift with time too of, okay, here's what I can handle. Here's what I can't handle. So then what happens when we are utilizing the same tools in the house and that seems unreasonable to have multiple tools? Is there a way that you can have some of your own things? Now, again, this also requires financial ability to do this. So then what do you do if you don't have the financial ability to do that? So one of the first ones that I would say for anybody is um, one of my biggest ones that I'm just now about to do. (laughs) I've been working on convincing her for so long. is getting my own toaster. And the reason why I never had one was because I really hate having way too many tools and things on the counter. And so we had a toaster oven, so it felt like a really easy thing to just kind of wipe it down and then use it in between until about a week ago. Elodie has gotten really into English muffins and they are the most crumbly little things of all time. I love English muffins, but I can't, you know. So anyways, so I digress. So I went to go make myself a piece of toast and I saw all kinds of crumbles all over like the the thing. And our mornings have naturally become a little bit more hectic. There's not as much time to do stuff. And I remember Casey said, why don't you put a piece of foil on there? I go, why don't you put foil on yours? (laughs) Because it doesn't toast as well. And that's when he and I realized that I needed to get my own toaster so that I can have a safe place for me to toast my own food. And I'm just going to have in the cabinet... And that's how we're going to manage it going forward because it it seems it seems trivial. And for people who are probably listening, who maybe have had celiac disease for a long time, they're probably thinking, Christina, why didn't you have one forever? And the truth is, I probably should have. But but I also it was easier to navigate until until all these things happened. Right, time became more challenging. The amount of gluten in the home became um increased significantly and so it became a lot more challenging to navigate and so now I'm at this place where I'm kind of like all right I need to invest in a toaster it's time yeah I mean I I would say that if you're only like if you're only gonna invest and like I got my toaster on Amazon for like 20 bucks right if you're gonna invest in anything separate and you like breads and things, my number one recommendation would be a toaster. Other pots and pans, other things like you can deal with, right? You don't have to have, unless it's an anaphylactic allergy. And again, the disclaimer that everybody reacts to things differently. For us, we don't have to have our own set of pots and pans and, you know, cutting boards, eh, maybe, you know, it really depends. You don't have to have your own set of silverware, you know, like any of that other kind of stuff. As long as you're washing things well, you should be okay. The one exception I would say would be the toaster. Um, So having your own toaster is super, super helpful. You can grab it. I mean, if you get coupons from Bed Bath and Beyond, you can get one for real cheap. <laughs> or they're going grab it out on of business, and they're also going out of business. So that's, that's what I'm news planning to me. on doing. Yeah, they're. I think they're closing up shop. 
Bed Bath oh. & Beyond. And so they got all kinds of coupons going on right now. Oh, and I just want to say, the reason why I didn't get a toaster was because I had a toaster oven. And I was like, well, we just clean the grates. And it'd be easy to kind of maintain. And I actually thought it was easier than having a toaster. I have since seen the dark side of the toaster oven. And I understand the whole thought process behind it now. And I am on board. So yeah. I've less lesson learned, y'all. Take one from me. Just buy yourself your own $20 toaster and live with your life a little bit easier. And Works great. Works easy. Easy peasy. I was just going to go on to the next one of have a dedicated space in your house for your snacks. And the, the last thing I'll say about the toaster as well is if you're in a house where you're then going to have two toasters, put the gluten-free one away when you're not using it. So if you're a house that has your toaster like on the countertop or anything, just make sure. And I would also highly recommend getting a toaster that looks at least a little bit different. So it's pretty easy to know like, oh, my gluten-free toaster is the green one, you know, (laughs) or whatever it is, right? So make it pretty clear that, you know, which one is yours. And then obviously have a conversation with the people in your house about like, hey, please don't put um, your lovely gluten things that I would love to be able to eat, but also don't want to die inside, you know, so just put them in different places. Yeah, you know, it's funny because Elodie asked for a toaster that she can push down. And so that kind of opened the whole conversation of like, okay. And so now we're getting one for her and that's going to be out all the time. And then mommy's will be hidden. (laughs) It's what we're going to do. But I I love the idea of the colors. I didn't think about that actually. And that makes a lot of sense. I think Elodie would love a pink toaster, just saying. (laughs) Elodie, if anyone can can find a unicorn uh, toaster uh, for kids, Elodie would freak out so I'm on that's it. what we need <laughs> i need to find a unicorn toaster and she would be so pumped another thing that we're getting to that i think is along this lines as well is a microwave we haven't had one in years because ours started sparking and casey doesn't like using them he doesn't feel like the food tastes as good and i said well that's really great for you but i need something that i could easily access because that was something else that leads to the kind of scarcity i don't know if other people feel this way too but when you have limited time and food sensitivities or an autoimmune disease or an allergy being able to make something quickly for breakfast lunch or a snack on the go can be really difficult because the food that you have to eat takes more time you can't just throw something together as easily right and so that's another thing that I have been finally put my foot down and said I'm getting a microwave because I need it for lunches. And I think it took him a while to really understand why that was the case. Um, and now he has seen the light too. And he's like, okay, I get it. I see why that would be important to you um, and how that could help navigate the kitchen a little bit easier. So I think even a more practical tool instead of those Learning from us, yes, learn from our mistakes, learn from mine. I can't believe I didn't have my own toaster for this long. But <laughs> um, but I also think, too, think about what tools you use that could create a cross-contamination experience, right? And think about what would make things easier for you so that you felt like you had more easily more accessible foods in order to eat on a more regular basis so you didn't feel that way. That might be a snack cabinet that's just for you. That might be a microwave. That might be minute rice that you keep aside that you can quickly make with a meal if other people are having something else. That might mean 
having some stuff prepped over the weekend to make things a little bit easier so that you have stuff available. That might mean spending more money on groceries than other people will. Mm-hmm. And having to navigate that. Yeah. One thing that you can also do if you don't have the resources to or don't want to buy a whole bunch of other different pots and pans and all these other things, or if you don't have the space, right? Like I live in a small apartment. I have a small kitchen. Granted, I do live by myself, but like, you know, if I live with someone else and, you know, there would be no space to do all these things. Um, So living with other people that don't have this gluten issue for a long time, you start to pick up on things that you can do to manage. So let's say everyone's having pasta. You're making your own pot of water. They make their own pot of water. When you're dumping the pasta water out, make sure the gluten-free one goes first. Put your pasta back in your pot and then they can do the gluten pasta afterwards. And just when you're doing kind of communal dishes and stuff, make sure if there is a dish that has gluten in it and you're, you know, I'm thinking of things specifically like on the stove and everything is laid out, make sure you use separate serving spoons, right? Or, and make sure everybody knows, please don't double dip between the pasta that has gluten in it and the, you know, zucchini, peppers, sausage, all the different things, right? This is a meal that we make all the time at home. Um, And then other things with like, you know, pancakes or if you're, if people are using the same dishes or anything, cooking first or being the first one to make your eggs or make your thing or whatever it is, is the best thing that I think you can do. Yes, it is annoying to always have to cook first all the time, but if you don't have another pan, that's the best way that you're going to be able to go. Um, Same thing if you're doing something like pancakes and like who has more than one pancake griddle, right? Or pan or something like that. Most people would say absolutely not, right? Um, Or even if you do have one. So if you're making gluten-free pancakes and then you also have regular gluten pancakes, just, you know, make the gluten-free ones first on the griddle and then the gluten people can go. They're not going to get cross-contamination by eating gluten-free stuff and then having gluten, right? Like they're going to be just fine. And then you just want to make sure, you know, I would say the number one suggestion is make sure you wash everything well. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I that I use too is I have like a, a gluten-free like spoon type of thing. So let's say you're making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and you have like, you know, kids or whatever. And um, when we make Elodie's, we might not get different types of jelly. We have separate peanut butter because peanut butter seems more challenging to do because of the nature of the consistency of it. So we'll have separate ones and I have my gluten-free peanut butter and then she has and everyone else in the house has their own access to their own one. And then, but for jelly, what I'll do is we'll use a spoon. And so we'll have a spoon that we'll use that doesn't touch the bread that goes onto like a bowl and then you take it from there and then you utilize it from that perspective. So that makes it a little bit easier. And then if you're using any, then you can do that for really any shared condiment, right? Like if you're using a, a communal mayonnaise because you don't want to buy, you know, two different mayonnaise. Well, why would you want to do that? You yeah. know, and then you have, it takes up so much space. You can utilize the spoon idea um, in order to help with that and then put in like a small little ramekin so then everyone can take, you know, you can take it from there and every, it's like a safe place in order mm-hmm. to do that. And it doesn't take that much time. And I think it's a very considerate thing that someone who's sharing the space with you can do to show that they are acknowledging what you're going through and trying to be supportive. As so, long as they remember, dad. <laughs> as, as long as they remember what kind of allergy you have, <laughs> that's also I'll be calling too. my dad out six times on this episode. It's fine. He'll laugh. <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, and so I think like that's something else too is trying to remember that as well. And then that can be really helpful as well, I find, to be. Yeah. When you're in charge, right? And I'm, I think I'm talking more about like, yeah, when you're in charge, like as a parent trying to navigate it a little bit. Some of my tools might be more geared towards that versus like a roommate experience. Um, although yeah. it's like having little little roommates around, but I serve them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about some travel tips because this can be really hard to navigate. Um, you know, with whatever the reason that you have for dietary restrictions, allergies, anything like that. Airports suck for the most part. So just know that going into it, always bring snacks. There's a reason that everybody used to call me snacks with Dana because I brought snacks everywhere. Even before celiac, I always brought snacks everywhere, right? So you can do research in advance if you want to with, you know, different airports or places that you're going and see what kind of restaurants there are. Um, because sometimes airports are great, right? There's, if you have time, especially, right? If you've got time, if you've got a layover, if you get there early, you know, anything. It's generally not that hard to find something if you're going to a sit-down restaurant, even in an airport. If you don't have time for something like that, you're going to have to rely on things like Starbucks, Dunkin' Donuts, Chick-fil-A, you know, other things like that which if you know how to order, you can find safer options there. Um, when you get to your destination, depending on the kind of place that you're staying, bring your own snacks. <laughs> Always bring snacks, right? If you're staying somewhere where there is a fridge or you have a cabinet or anything, I would recommend as the person with celiac, go. you be the person or one of the people that goes to the grocery store so you can get the things that you need, the brands that you want, right? Like unless you have people who know you very well and know all the your accommodations and stuff like that, don't send some random to the store and be like, "Hey, can you get gluten-free pasta for me?" Like they'll they'll just they'll be like, "What is this?" you know. They'll just bring back the regular stuff and then you'll be sad because you can't eat pasta and that stinks. So. Mhm. 100%. I think all of those things are really important to to remember too. One thing I will say is that the, when it comes to the airport, um, one of the things that I've been doing a lot lately, and this is, again, kind of more geared towards parents, is I, even for Elodie too, is she can have gluten-free snacks. We just don't, we just don't limit her on having access to gluten for sandwiches and things like that. But we make gluten-free pancakes and everybody eats them, you know, and everybody likes them. And she doesn't, she could care less. And then for as far as like a snack thing, one of the things that I've been doing a lot is, you know, those big stasher bags, they have like huge yeah. stash, like gallon stasher bags. What we've been doing is creating like a to-go snack bag that's always in our diaper bag or in the car. And I'll have separate ones. Like I'll have one that's a car snack bag. I have one that's in the diaper bag. Um, and different ty- and then different types of stuff and then I have them available and always include stuff for yourself not just your kids stuff for yourself as well but that can be applicable to anybody I actually just walked through a client of mine with creating a car snack con- a bag for themselves for when they're on their go and they need access to food quickly that's really important I think having something available that you know okay I know that for this road trip 
there's only one Chick-fil-A on the drive down or I'm not going to have access to stuff. So I need to pack something for myself. I need to make sandwiches. I need to do stuff. I need to pack things for myself. I need to make a little cooler and all this types of stuff. Or you can say, I know that for part of this ride, there's not going to be stuff available, but I'm going to get hungry before then. What can I do to make that easier for myself? And always make sure that you have easily accessible food available because that feeds the scarcity. The minute that you don't have something easily available our stress hormone kicks in we get lit up and then we're then we're fighting scarcity and that's why we feel scarce right it's not because we can't eat anything it's because we haven't made the foods that we can eat easily accessible and so everywhere you're going like Gina's saying if you're traveling somewhere if you're staying in someone else's house bring your own bag full of stuff that works for you that you know that you can if everyone's doing like a cheese board night bring crackers that you can have go to the cheese board before and cut off chunks of the cheese before so that you can have access to stuff too you know go to the hummus before anyone else goes to it and take a big old thing of it take half you know and put it in a little container so that you can have access to it you know and making sure that and i know that this can be really challenging because of this this desire to not be a burden but it is more complicated and more difficult for literally everybody if you don't do those things because they don't know how to navigate it. They don't know what's going on. And so they just assume that you're taking care of it and you're cool with everything. And so they start double dipping. They don't realize what's going on. And then everybody gets confused. And so the more that you're the only one that has to suffer later. Yeah. And you're the one suffering. And so this is what triggers that, that scarcity. This is why it feels like we have restrictive tendencies or not access to food and food scarcity when you have uh, autoimmune disease or an allergy. It's because we're not making easily accessible foods for ourselves available or e- that's not the right wording. You guys know <laughs> what I meant. <laughs> Uh, But I feel like I think that's like the most important part. So a lot of our tools here are about one, making the environment safe for yourself and two, making them accessible. Mm -hmm. And that includes having your own cabinet, creating your own snack bag, having stuff available for yourself, packing food to bring with you, which takes a lot more mental executive function to do. It takes more time to do all that, but carve out that time. Mm hmm. You're important too. Yeah. And you need to eat. Yes, exactly. And then the the last tip that I would give, and this is more of a uh, fail-safe kind of last resort thing, is depending on who you are and what works for you, especially when you're traveling, bring something with you in case you start feeling sick, have cross-contamination, or something like that. Um, So as a reminder... This is not a blanket recommendation to take different supplements, right? If you have celiac disease, what I have found is really effective, or if you react to gluten in any way, right? One of the things that I personally have found is very effective is um, Just Thrive makes this product called Gluten Away, um, which has uh, stomach acid, a few digestive enzymes, and specific probiotics that can really help your body break down any form of gluten. What I am not saying is if you have celiac disease to take this thing and be like, oh, I'm going to be fine. That's not the way that it works, (laughs) right? If you have celiac disease, don't eat gluten. 
However, if you have celiac disease and you think you had some cross-contamination, this can really help break down the protein structures in gluten, gliadin, all of the different things, wheat, barley, rye, so that you don't feel as much like crap the next day right? So that can be helpful. And depending on, you know, what condition you have, what symptoms you have, there are a whole bunch of different things that can really help as well, like supplementary or medication wise as well, if you have that. Yeah, I think that's important to know too. Like this doesn't take away the autoimmune reaction that your body has. Yeah. It's just taking away the the symptoms and the degree of the symptoms that you yeah. might experience in that moment if that happens. I'll tell a great story about it wasn't gluten away that I used. It was activated charcoal that I had available at the time. And we went to this restaurant and I ordered. They even said there was like a star on there saying like, this is a celiac friendly place, blah, 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 blah. Yes, I know. And I went and I ordered the burger. We were super pumped. We were on the beach. I was on the beach, you guys. And um, I ordered this hamburger to enjoy. Everyone was super pumped because we were like, wow, this place actually has a bunch of gluten-free stuff. This is fantastic. I go get my burger and I take a bite. And I turned to Casey and I said, I don't know if this bun is gluten-free. And he said, well, what do you mean? I go, it just tastes like like it had like it's too soft you know like for people who know gluten-free like you know that it's gonna have a little bit of a different texture and so then Casey looked at it and he said that looks just like my bun and then he said well let me take a taste of it and just see and he goes no Christina that's that's the exact same bun that I have and um so I went to the staff I told them what happened I had to leave the beach and Casey said, do you have anything that you can take so you don't get sick? And um, I did have activated charcoal, so I didn't get really sick. But thank goodness I had it because I thought that I was eating a gluten-free bun, took a huge bite of this burger, and then all of a sudden everything kind of went away from there. So having something in preparation, but it sucked because as a result of that mistake, I had to leave the beach that day had to go home, took activated charcoal. I didn't have it with me in my beach bag. Maybe I, maybe you should keep it in your beach bag, but who would have thought, you know? But that's my whole story around making sure that you are bringing things for yourself to handle like symptom management because there's nothing worse being away from your own home and feeling sick like that because of something that happened in cross-contamination because it sucks. Yeah. And so if there is something like gluten away or activated charcoal that you can use, now activated charcoals, like don't just go buy a bunch of activated charcoal. There's a lot of things with that. Work with your practitioner. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, activated charcoal can attach to medications that you're taking and yes. things. So so it's not something smart to just go take. I'm not, I was not taking any medications at the time, so it felt very easily accessible and easy to use. Um, so just FYI, but it is important to have something to, to help yourself. And then even when you do feel like you've done all of the right things, found the restaurant, did the stuff, it was, a, and then everything, like you can't control all the outcomes. Shit can right? still hit the fan and then you just do the best you can. Yep, exactly. So we hope this has been helpful for you all. Um, if you have any follow-up questions, send them our way. You know, we love to, um, 
go through different follow-up questions and things that you all have related to specific episodes. We're happy to do. Actually, we haven't done one of these in a while. We should really do a listener questions episode soon. Um, That's been a minute since we did that. Okay, we will do that soon. I'll put it on the calendar. (laughs) We will do a call for questions specifically soon. Um, So if you have any questions about this, any of our recent episodes, definitely let us know. Um, And then we kind of alluded to this a little bit before, but we're going to be doing a deep dive on functional medicine and the functional medicine pipeline, pros and cons kind of thing. So look forward to that coming soon. Have a good day. Bye. (laughs) Bye. Hey friends, it's Dana, and thanks so much for listening to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast today. Find us on social media at Wholehearted Eating Pod on Instagram and at wholeheartedeating.com for more information about working with Dana and Christina for one-on-one nutrition counseling. If you love the show, we would love you forever if you'd share an episode with your family and friends or tag us on social media or leave a five-star rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts to help more people find the show. Check out patreon.com slash wholehearted eating to help support the show and get access to ad-free episodes, bonus episodes with us and our guests, episode discussions, new resources we're creating for Patreon, and so much more. If you have questions for us, feedback on the show, potential topics or guests you'd love to have on, shoot us an email at hello at wholeheartedeating.com and we'll see you next week.